Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our midweek Bible study called Morning Glory. I'm so happy that you're here, and I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and join me today. We're going to be in the book of Wisdom, the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. And today, let's look at our key verse, which will be verse 17. And let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we thank you that the entrance of your word into our hearts, it brings light, illumination, understanding, and wisdom. So Father, let there be the entrance of your word. Let your Holy Spirit anoint your word and let it fall upon us like a soft rain. And we thank you for the light that it's bringing. Father, we give you praise. Thank you for the wisdom of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. We all agree and shout, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. As iron sharpens iron. Again, it says, so a man's countenance sharpens his friend. I was reading a story yesterday about Mr. Reese Howells, the great prayer intercessor from Wales, and he raised up a great Bible college. By the way, with that great Bible college, it wasn't in a sense what you would call a very large school of ministry or like a big public type college or anything like that. It was a very focused Bible college endeavoring to raise up uh, those in the ministry who would be completely dedicated to the Lord. And although there's a lot of people that never heard of the Wells Bible College, it certainly had its graduate students who went on to do some major exploits. One of those men was actually uh, one of the graduates from that Bible college was a young man named Reinhard Bonnke. And we certainly know the great work that God did through him in the continent of Africa. So, It's not always necessary to be the biggest. Sometimes that's not even God's plan. (laughs) But you can focus on being the best, and you can churn out and produce quality that is exceptional. Well, I was reading about Mr. Howells when he was actually in Africa himself, in uh, the area of uh, southern area of Africa, and he came down with malaria, and he was real sick. And on the eighth day, he was not getting any better, so... His wife said, you need to pray about, uh, about this condition, ask God to heal you. He goes, well, I did pray, and I did ask God to heal me, but now that I'm really kind of examining my, my prayer, he said, I didn't really pray in faith. <laughs> so he said, I'll, I'll, I'll pray it again, and I'll pray in faith. <laughs> so uh, later, she walked back into the room where he had been lying on the bed, and the moment she walked into the room, she looked at her husband's face, and it was lit up with light. And she said, the Lord healed you. He said, yep. He said, I got the prayer right this time. And he instantly healed me. And he was already recovering in strength. He was beginning to move about and so forth. And literally the next day, he was back on his feet and uh, working and functioning and so forth. So there is this illumination, this light that can be upon the countenance that can share knowledge with someone else that allows them to come into the light also. One time I had been in in my garage, which was connected to my house. I was in the garage praying, and I had a major visitation 
from the Lord. The Lord came to me in a vision, and he talked with me, and he shared some things that in many ways set the course of my ministry. And uh, like all visions, eventually they end. But when the vision ended, uh, I was, maybe you could use the word lit up, from the encounter of having met the head of the church himself. And I went into the house, and the moment Kelly saw me in the kitchen, when I walked in, the first words out of her mouth were, you just saw the Lord, didn't you? And I said, yes. <laughs> Why? There's a countenance. There's an illumination. Now, again, the scriptures say, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now, I have a, a really nice knife that I use if I go camping or uh, doing things around the the outside of the house, you need to cut something, just pull it out, and, and it's a real strong knife. And I had cut up some pieces of cardboard that were real thick uh, the other day, and that knife was just going through even that thick cardboard like hot butter. But something uh, while I was cutting nicked the blade of the knife, so I, I took it to the uh, knife store here in town, and it's actually one of the best knife stores in the country, just uh, everything you could ever imagine or want. If you like cutlery or knives, they've got it. Well, I took my knife there and uh, showed him the little burr that had happened on it. And he goes, oh, I can take that out, Stephen, for you. Let me fix that. And in order to sharpen it, he didn't grab another knife. So he's not going to sharpen my knife with another knife. No, he grabs uh, what would be called the wedding stone. And you take that special stone and uh, you use it to sharpen the blade of a knife. And so he technically didn't use a stone. He's got these little rods that are wedding stone rods, and he could run it against the blade. And he had that thing so sharp by the time he was done with it. It was probably, I think, sharper than what it was when I originally bought it. So uh, it's fascinating because here, there is a reference of iron sharpening iron, and you wouldn't really sharpen iron with another piece of iron, but it's, it's being said like that, this proverb or this maxim of life, this wisdom statement is being said like that in the sense that we sharpen each other and we have the same nature. So you're not going to get sharpened by talking to a robot. You're not going to get sharpened by, you know, just having empty conversation with somebody. You get sharpened when you are conversing with someone that is in a similar hunger and desire and growth mode like you are, and you start talking and there's a sharpening taking place. So it's like iron sharpening iron. It's the same material sharpening the material the same the same humanity the same hunger uh, connecting with the hunger for god to become very very sharp praise the lord so this sharpening the, it influences literally the countenance of a person because that countenance consists of understanding and light it's like as we say when the light comes on so there's an illumination and this can take place by sitting down with someone and you're both running with the Lord, and you begin to have fellowship, and you begin to have dialogue and conversation, and you start bouncing things around uh, with the other person. And my friends, you, you, you'll never leave a conversation like that without having been edified or without having been made more sharp than what you previously were. I think it's important that whenever you have a valid 
spiritual experience, a vision, or some type of supernatural encounter, to be open to sharing that with a spiritual mentor. It's not like perhaps you're trying to have the vision judged. I mean, if it's from the Lord, it's from the Lord. And at the same time, when it is genuine, uh, there's nothing wrong with sharing it with somebody or somebody asking questions uh, to get insight, to maybe uh, give guidance or direction. But I would say that it's a good thing to do to share your visions with somebody that would be spiritually mature. Why? Because they can offer insight and help uh, drop some things of revelatory knowledge that maybe you never picked up And the moment they hear your vision and you tell them about it, they'll be able to give more insight because of the iron sharpening iron principle. Praise the Lord. Now, don't go and share a supernatural experience with uh, even a minister just because the person is a minister. I found that out very young in ministry that there's a lot of good pastors uh, and they have wonderful congregations and things like that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they are, in a sense, spiritually enabled to talk about things that we could call spiritual. I know uh, several ministers that have very large churches, and in a sense, you could say they're even charismatic or Pentecostal because they believe in miracles and things like that. But they have a little bit of tunnel vision. In other words, they believe in miracles like healing. But if you get into other types of miracles of the glory realm or supernatural experiences or visions or things like that or angelic encounters, they have no... Uh, experience in that realm at all. So to try to share something with them that would be more of a prophetic type experience, and they're not prophets, or they just, uh, they've never had experience in that, then you're not going to be able to get a good uh, sharpening process out of that. And I have met quite a few ministers, and they're good ministers. They love the Lord. They're doing a good work, and they have zero interest in any type of what we would call supernatural experience. They're happy just with a nice, normal little uh, ministry that's moving along or the larger size ministry that's moving along. And there may be no power of the Spirit manifesting. That, that That's okay with them. They're, they're just as happy as can be. But uh, certainly not everybody is in that position. There are those that are hungry for God and know there's more. And of course, we know there's a whole lot more and want to tap into fuller expressions of God's glory. Well, when you do have those types of experiences, you need to be able to talk with somebody that also is living, walking in that realm. Praise the Lord. Um, I had a situation one time where I was in my uh, bedroom area of the house and I was praying. My wife and daughter, they were, uh, they, I can't remember where they were at, but they were not in the house. And the bedroom had two uh, uh, sliding doors, large sliding doors that were glass that looked out onto the backyard. And so I had been in prayer for quite some time, uh, and uh, I noticed something very unusual. It's only happened once, and probably once was enough, because it was really, uh, uh, it was very, very strange. Uh, there was a play set, like a children's play set in the back, and it had a swing, uh, like two little swings. Well, a hawk, of all places, what I, at that time I was living in the city in Southern California, a huge red-tailed hawk came and landed on top of that swing and started, and if I could, if I could say it like this, started calling me. He he actually extended his left wing out 
and he was doing like this. And it seemed to me like an expression like that was saying, come into this. And he was like screaming, if that's a word that hawks actually use. You know, they'd make that piercing cry. <laughs> and, uh, he, and he was looking right at me, looking right at me. And I thought, I've, you know, because I, I grew up in the country and we had all kinds of, you know, birds of prey and things like that. But I never had something like that. And he was so close. I mean, he was, he was maybe uh, 12 feet away and he was very loud and he kept on doing that. And I thought, what is all that about? I didn't want to go out there because you could see his talons wrapped around the pole and stuff like that. And uh, so after doing that for some time, he just he flew away. And I thought, Lord, I don't understand that, but I think there was a message in that for me. But I have no clue what you were trying to convey to me through that experience. Now, this was not a vision. This was something that was real. But I felt that God was involved in it, and uh, I wanted to I wanted to get some insight from somebody that had a sharpness that could help me in this. So I knew that where I was going next week to minister, that the pastor, who was really an apostle over that church, I thought maybe that he could help me, and uh, I was right. He could. So I got I got to the city. Uh, I think I was going to minister on Sunday morning, maybe Saturday night they wanted me to start, but I got there like on Friday, and I actually stayed in his home. Uh, my family and I stayed with his family. That would give he and I more time to talk. And the first thing I did was when I sat down in his living room, I said, Brother, I said I had the most unusual thing happen where this hawk uh, flew into my backyard and landed on the pole and uh, on, on the ch- children's playset and s- extended his wing out to me and was bringing his wing in and out and, 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 and trying to like convey, come into this, and uh, was looking at me, and he was piercing cry and all of this. And uh, he goes, Oh, Brother Stephen, you know what that means, don't you? I said, no. I said, for about a week now, I've been praying, uh, trying to get insight on what that was all about. I said, I have no clue what that was about. He said, he said, are you serious? You don't know what that means? I said, no, I have no idea what it means. So I said, please tell me. <laughs> he said that he said the hawk represents the apostolic ministry. So that would be an invitation, a call into the apostolic ministry. And I said, I said, now, where's that at in the Bible? And he said, he said, seriously, Stephen, you don't know where that sat? I said, no, I don't know where that sat in the Bible. I've read the whole Bible through, but I've never read anything like that in the Bible. He said, really? He said, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. What's going on? I'm getting sharpened. I'm getting sharpened. And I, by the way, he had some things that I was able to sharpen him on also. So it's a, it's a, it's a, an amazing process. You'll never leave conversations like that without knowing God better and becoming what? Sharper. So, um, I said, well, where's that at in the Bible? And, you know, he was like, kind of, then he just teased me. You don't know what that's at? I said, no, I have no clue. He said, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 11. Oh, I had to see it. I, had, I turned right over there. And let's just take a look ourselves. Isaiah 46, verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east. And he explained to me that bird of prey in, in the Hebrew, and it's true because I, I looked it up in Strong's Concordance, which anybody could do, the, the word is ayit. And it means what? It means hawk. Calling a hawk, a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. 
So an apostle is basically, uh, in the original Cornet Greek or the common day language of the people when that word was used regularly uh, in Paul's time, it was, it was an emissary. It was somebody that was sent, sent by a higher authority. And here we see that God was going to call and send Cyrus for a u- unique purpose. So it's a symbol of an early prototype of the apostolic type ministry before Christ ever commissioned the ministry office of the apostle to the church, as we know he did during his ascension, in uh, which is discussed in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about the five-fold ministry offices that were given as a gift by Christ to the church. Woo! Praise God. So that unlocks some things for me, and that was the original um, kind of hawk talk that started to take place in that sense of beginning to think more about the apostolic, more about, uh, see, you can go, but there's a difference between going and God sending you. And the sending is the empowerment uh, where God gives you his authority, his supernatural equipment, and of course, his blessing. So you need to have people that you can talk to that can sharpen you. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's an apostle in Asia that I talk to pretty often. He's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for quite some time. And uh, anytime I have a, a vision and I share it with him, he always adds something through interpretation that I didn't catch. So I had a major experience. It was about it was about five years ago that really was something very, very deep. And it was a phenomenal vision that the Lord showed me. He actually took me to heaven and showed me some things. Well, when I was retelling the vision to my friend, the apostle over in Asia, and I told him about a certain part of the vision, he goes, well, you know what that means, right? I said, well, I didn't really think about that. What does that mean? He goes, this means, and he gave me the the prophetic interpretation of that. I, and I thought, now, why could I see that? <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness, that makes so much sense. And it, it just kind of like unlocked something. And it, it took the, the pieces of the puzzle and just fitted it all together so much better. And I could already see the puzzle because the vision happened to me. The experience happened to me. But by sharing it, he was able to sharpen my understanding of what God had allowed me to experience. And he shed some light on something that was a great blessing, Woo, a great blessing in my life. There's another minister in India, very anointed. Uh, he He's sharp, sharp as sharp can be. And any time I have talked with him about uh, supernatural encounters and experiences, particularly one that I had, that uh, my wife was with me when it happened, and I shared... I shared with him what happened in this vision because I had a, I had an encounter with the prophet Elijah in the spirit realm. And when I shared with him about the visionary experience, about what took place, he said, well, oh, this is what that means. And I thought, again, I thought, how come I didn't see that? Now, I should have known that. <laughs> oh, but when you look at it from a different angle, which is what somebody else will bring, who's, who's got experience in that area, trust me, you'll, you'll walk away like a sharp axe, like a sharp knife. Woo, praise the Lord. And my friends, you need people like that in your life. Again, that's Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, or that of a similar nature, 
a man or, or another man talking, a woman or another woman uh, having fellowship and talking, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You get lit up. Why? That's understanding. You know something more fully than you did before. Praise God. It's a joyful experience. Now, the Lord Jesus wants us to become sharp in every area of our lives. Let's go today to the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, this really brings it out very, very clearly. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and let's go down now to verse 9. It says, He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Well, that's that's certainly true, and if you're working a job like that, I think back in those days, they were doing it all in sandals, and there was no such thing as steel-toe boots, but, you know, I used to work at a machine shop, and one of the first things they told me, they said, Stephen, we've got a lot of heavy stuff in this warehouse. If anything ever tilts or begins to fall, do not try to catch it. <laughs> Because you cannot hold up fourteen thousand pounds, you know you have you have machines that weigh sixty thousand pounds. If and they're getting moved around on forklifts or things like that, these super giant forklifts and stuff, uh, don't don't try to get in the way of it. Same thing at a quarry. You have these giant stones and they're being cut and they're being broken loose. And maybe you have them on logs. They're going to roll or something starts rolling too fast. Just get out of the way. And let it go. Praise the Lord. It is a dangerous job. And so you always want to walk in wisdom, which would uh, include walking in uh, safety protocol. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits wood may be endangered by it. Splitting of wood, better watch out. It can be a dangerous situation. I'm not sure if some of you were aware of this, but back in the year 2003, for some strange reason, the head coach of an NFL football team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, he came up with this this model, the theme for the team, which was, you know, supposed to be motivational. And it was supposed to be something that motivated you to just, you know, motivate the players just to really keep at it. So the theme was keep on chopping. <laughs> Maybe you know where this is going. It's, it wasn't good. Well, the coach had somebody get this big old uh, oak wooden stump and put it right in the locker room where all the men would change at. And uh, then he had a big old axe put in there. And the thing was, you know, take a swing, take a chop at it, keep on swinging. Well, um, uh, one of the big linemen, one of those big, huge linemen, he said that he picked that axe up because a lot of the guys would do that. You know, if you're going to put that in the middle, they're going to have guys who are going to pick that axe up and swing it as hard as they can at that stump, especially when the, you know got you got all that strength. And so this one of these linemen said he picked that axe up, swung it as hard as he could, and the axe bounced off the side somehow and went right by his leg full force, full speed, and he said it missed his leg by like an inch. He's, and he said it terrified him. He said, I'm never touching this stupid thing ever again. And he said, this is crazy we have this in here. <laughs> and he said, that, he, said, he said, I could have just rammed that ax into my leg. Well, uh, the next day, that same big giant lineman came into the locker room and noticed that the stump was gone, the ax was gone, and there was 
red stuff all over the floor, and it was blood. So what had happened earlier that morning, the punter had come in, and he'd picked that axe up, and he had swung it as hard as he could, too, just like some of the others did, and it bounced off the side, went through some of the wood on the side, and buried it right into his leg. So, you know, you have to be careful with these things. You want to be sharp, but you have to be careful with sharpness. Praise the Lord. Now, he who splits wood may be endangered by it. Absolutely. Um, when we operate in wisdom, we have to think about what we do. Praise the Lord. We're talking in essence here about an axe, but it's going to have much further reaching applications. But since we are talking about an axe, here's a story that would tie into this today. This is Second Kings chapter 6, verse 5. Well, what had taken place is that those in that ministry school of the prophets had decided, hey, let's build a bigger school because we don't have enough room. So let's, let's make a log cabin. Okay, so verse 5. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Now, we know that the prophet Elisha is going to come along. The gift of working of miracles will be in manifestation, and the iron axe head is going to float. And people get all excited about the miracle. Well, maybe we should also think about the fact that isn't it good that it fell into the water uh, instead of flying into somebody's head? Because the top of that axe the blade, the metal part, flew off the handle. Well, that's not supposed to happen, Pastor Stephen. It's not, but it's just good to check things. And it's good to be careful because if you got a bunch of guys and they're all chopping at the same time, and you know, you guy just rears that axe back and slings it down, and suddenly that blade comes flying off, I'm glad it went in the water. <laughs> now, <laughs> at that time also, it's not like Israel had a lot of weapons. Uh, they had been stripped of a lot of their metal, the access to uh, create weapons and things like that. So an axe was extremely valuable. So he got suddenly plunged into debt. So God did a miracle through the prophet. He got bailed out. But how about this? How about if we just act a little more safely? How about if in the first place, we just walk in wisdom and we examine things uh, and just take a look before we take off and, be, and make sure everything's the way it's supposed to be. Praise the Lord. It only takes a moment, but it could sure save a lot of pain, a lot of misery. Here's an interesting uh, verse. Deuteronomy chapter 22 Verse 8, we're talking about wisdom. We're talking about always walking with a sharp axe. You, you have to be sharp. You have to think. There are a lot of people, they go through life, they have a brain just like you, but they, they don't do a lot of thinking. Uh, there are people that cross streets, they don't even look to see if something is coming. They just think it's going to stop. They start walking. <laughs> well, you know, uh, a lot of people, their, their lives have ended prematurely because they just didn't look. Well, Pastor Stephen, they have the right of way. Yes, they do, but you should use wisdom just to make sure everything is, is operating the way that it should. Now, verse 8, when you build a new house, and this could apply uh, to some of you that want to have your own home or build your maybe build a new home, Make sure that your architect is familiar with this rule of thumb. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. Now, a parapet would be like a little gate or, or a fence 
that in other words, if a child goes up on your roof, because most of the roofs back in those days were flat, and you had these flat roofs, and a lot of times people would sleep up there, or they would go up there for conversation, especially in the evening when the sun went down, you just went up on the top of your roof. Well, the Bible commands that if you're going to do that, there needs to be, in essence, a guardrail, some type of rail to keep a young child or to keep a person from falling over the side. Now, you would always have those that would say, well, you know, if they fall, it's their fault. They should have had better balance than that. They they should have watched where they're going. But here God says, if a person has that second story or third story or whatever, and it's not, there's no railing. They are liable. They are responsible and, and they are at fault. And so it's a commandment. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet a guardrail for your roof that you may not bring guilt to bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. Trust me, if you have a house like that and you don't have a rail up, trust me, somebody will fall. There, there are just, there's always somebody out there <laughs> that's going to uh, not notice or, or didn't see the sign or whatever. So you have to make it as secure as possible so that you just don't run into situations where somebody falls off your roof. I, you know, I went through the drive-thru of a coffee place the other day. A lady made my coffee and handed it to me. And it's got, you know, it's got the heated, it's like the, the cups they give you that are designed for hot stuff. And it's got the sleeve on it. And it was still so scalding hot that if I were to have drunk just an ounce of it, it probably would have burnt the entire lining of my mouth and... It, it must have been boiling, literally boiling, when she put it in the cup and handed it to me. Well, there have been lawsuits where people were given hot coffee, and they spilled some on them, and it was so hot that it scorched them, and they got third-degree burns. And, you know, nobody is really out to sue anybody, although there are some people like that that would be unbelievers. But um, you just want to use wisdom. And, uh, and I just I took that coffee. It literally took 20 minutes just sitting until it could get down to a temperature where I could actually drink it. And I like my coffee really hot, but I can't drink boiling <laughs> coffee. I mean, who can, right? So these are things that we have to walk with the sharpness. And if you have employees, then you have to train them. You, you have to train them. Hey, look, that you can't give people scalding coffee like that. You know, McDonald's has been sued over things like that, and they, they had to pay out. The judge ruled. Why? These things make sense. So many of the, the rules that we have, the good ones at least, they are rooted in what? They're rooted in morality, and morality is rooted in the Word of God. Now, some people have said you can't legislate morality, but if you can't legislate morality, what else do you have left to legislate? Right, <laughs> so, because uh, th- these rules like uh, against stealing. Well, why is it stealing wrong? Well, it's because we have this commandment called the eighth commandment: "You shall not steal." And so, uh, so much of our laws are rooted in biblical principles. But my friends, you have to stay sharp. You have to stay sharp because life. Uh, has many dangerous things in it, and you have to be able to go through it smoothly. Woo! Praise the Lord. Here's an example of just um, something that we need to be observant on, maybe particularly, especially in Pentecostal churches. Acts chapter 20. How about this one? Acts chapter 20, verse verse 7. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. 
Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Who praise the Lord. You know, when the, when the anointing is flowing, time does fly by. Those of you under, understand that, that when the, when the teaching is anointed and it's answering questions that you desperately want to know, it's not like you're just, you're in labor or toil to stay there. No, you, you lose total track of time. Now, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And yes, we know they didn't have electricity back there, so light some lamps and just keep on teaching. Verse 9, And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. You'll always have a, a, a Eutychus in your life. So be careful. Uh, it could be a little child. It could be somebody that just, you know, you have to watch out for. Uh, be careful. Uh, so here's Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Oh, now we get all excited about the miracle, how Paul, he went down and fell on him and embraced him. And uh, basically the child was raised back to life. We get all excited about the miracle. What about if we become more observant. Now, Paul's carrying the message. Paul, he's, an, he's in the anointing. He's ministering. But what about those who can give more support, who can give another angle of wisdom? And what if somebody would have said, hang on just a minute, Paul. I don't want to stop your teaching. This is so good. But let's take a break just for a moment because Eutychus is sitting over there in the window. Now, they don't have window screens uh, like we do today. But even on modern day screens, there's a little tag that says this will not support your weight if you lean on it. In other words, if you sit in the window and there's, even though there's a screen, you're going to, you're going to fall right through that screen and you're going to go straight down. So he's sitting there in that open window on the third floor. Somebody should have said, Paul, love your teaching. Hang on just a moment. Let's get him out of the window. That's making me nervous. And it's making me nervous and I can't focus because he, he looks like he's about to fall out the backside. Well, he did. He did. So many of these things, we can see it, we can address it beforehand, and then we don't find ourselves suddenly in this great need. Because what happens when there's not an Apostle Paul <laughs> with that miracle working anointing? <laughs> they go down and raise him from the dead, and let's just get right back to the teaching, <laughs> okay? So let's just, uh, let's stay sharp. And when you're walking with the Lord, very prayerful, you're going to become uh more observant to many things. I've been in, in meetings in Pentecostal circles where uh, mainly in prophetic type churches where for some reason people are really into the flags and during the praise and worship, it's not like they're going to take their flags to the back and praise the Lord in the back. They want to go up to the front and they want to swing those flags, you know, multicolored flags and, you know, all kinds of decorated things, Lion of the tribe of Judah and all the names of God, Jehovah Nissi, have got all their banners and flags and their twir twirling flags and stuff like that. And I was in a meeting one time where one of these guys, a uh, big old fella, he had, he had two flags, one in each hand. And at the end of each flag, it was like a poker at the, you know, you got the flag and the rod and the end of the rod was like a real sharp poker on each side. And he's just whirling those like a bull in a China shop with all of these little kids, four and five year old kids with their little flags. And, and I told, I told the person that was, um, 
in charge, I said, somebody needs to get control of this because you, somebody can lose an eye just like that, get an eye gouged out in church, in church. Uh, so that really needs to be, uh, there needs to be some order there. Yes, we're not trying to put burdens on people. If you want to worship the Lord, yes. But hey, we don't want somebody to lose an eye. It's not worth it. <laughs> Stranger things, trust me, have happened. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's all fun, right? Until somebody gets hurt. So let's walk in wisdom. Let's be sharp. Let's be sharp. You could save somebody's life, literally. Praise God. Mm-mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, let's get back to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Let me jump back over there. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And now let's move down to verse 10. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. Well, I want to ask you a question. It's the question they ask all of the young Boy Scouts, you know, like within the first three days of joining the Scouts. As they teach them about, you know, tools of survival in the woods and the things like that. So here's the question. Which is safer, a dull knife or a sharp knife? Which one is safer? And, you know, you ask all the little kids that, and all the hands go up, and the little kids say, well, the dull one, the one that's real dull, that's safer. But that's not true, and they're taught why. The sharper knife is always safer because if you're using a real dull knife and you're trying to cut something, now because it's so dull, you've got to pull all of this extra exertion and strength to try to push through it, and that's when accidents happen. If it's sharper, it's going to go through easier. And if you're sharp as a Christian, you're going to go through life a whole lot easier. Um, these things are very, very important. Sharp is safer, and it's wise, very, very wise to stay sharp in your walk with the Lord. And I want to say this, keep your prayer acts sharp. Read books, praise the Lord, that inspire you to pray. Read books. I love books, praise the Lord. Read books that inspire you to pray. One of the best books I ever got on prayer as a young man, I actually, of all places, came across it in the grocery store. For whatever reason, the grocery store had this little rack, little revolving rack, and it had Christian books on it. And there was a book by Dr. Paul Youngie Cho, and I believe he goes by David Youngie Cho now. Um, the pastor in Seoul, South Korea, who grew the largest church in the world, and so much of that growth and multiplication was through very, very effective praying himself and the others who were really strong in prayer. And books, things like that, what did they do? They sharpen you. They'll make you sharp. And you may not be able to sit down and talk with certain people. I was in Seoul, Korea one time, and they said, Pastor Stephen, we would love to take you to meet Dr. Cho. I said, well, that would be wonderful, but some things happened, and this happened, and uh, the schedule's uh, you know, so busy, it never took place. But uh, I did read his books, so I was sharpened by his books, and you need to get books that will make you sharp. Now, let me say this. You cannot walk in wisdom if you don't stay sharp in prayer. Mm-hmm. A prayerless life will cause you to become dull to the things of God. Let's, let's look at that one more time. A prayerless life will cause you to become dull to the things of God. 
carrying a, a sharp axe is the same thing as walking with a strong prayer life. And this will allow you to see things come together smoothly in your life without the struggle or anxiety that so many even Christians endure because they're not sharp in the spirit. They're, they're letting their prayer lives down. And the next thing you know, they're getting hit with all the cares and the worries of the world, and it gets them into anxiety. And anxiety is a sign that you need to stop chopping, stop chopping, and go and sharpen your axe. The moment you realize we're dull, we need to stop. See, it says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. So now you're into the human equation. Now you're laboring. Now you're toiling. Now you're moving back under the Adamic situation of having to produce by the sweat on your brow and all of that, your own ingenuity. But you're up against a lot of other people that are willing to sweat. They've got, a, they've got their ingenuity. But you want to be in the anointing. You want to move in the spirit. You want to be sharp. You want to be sharp. Why? Because that is that relates to wisdom and that brings success into your life without having to go through all of the crazy struggle. So anytime you sense anxiety endeavoring to touch you, that is a sign that you need to stop chopping and go and sharpen your axe. Pastor Stephen, how do I sharpen my axe? We see it very clearly in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. I really like this. Let's take a look at it. And does this ever work? This is what will keep you. This will get you sharp, and this will keep you sharp. Praise God. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And supplication is making certain requests. It's making petitions to God of certain things that you desire or need. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when you sharpen your axe, when you go before the Lord in prayer, the prayer shield goes up. The guard goes up around your heart and your mind, and you stay in peace in a world that is very troubled. It is amazing how many people in America are on drugs to deal with their anxiety issues because life throws them these curveballs or these difficulties that they find very hard to handle. But my friends, we as Christians can walk in a higher wisdom. We walk in the wisdom of God. We walk in the word of God. And we also walk in prayer because the prayer is the anointing that brings all of that wisdom to life. And it it just causes things to come together smoothly, hallelujah, without struggle. You slice right through it. You split the wood in half. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, my friends, working with an axe uh, can have its certain inherent dangers. But the main thing is, is that as you go through life, go through life sharp, as sharp as you can possibly be, and you're going to have such better success. Things will go so much smoother for you, and the the smoother it is, the faster it is, and the further you'll get, and the better progress you'll make, and you'll accomplish what God has called you to do. So let's look at that key verse one more time, 
Back in Ecclesiastes, praise the Lord, this would be chapter 10, verse 10. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. So use wisdom, stop chopping, and go sharpen up. Praise the Lord. And then when you're sharp, you can sharpen others. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people as they're watching today. If there be any type of a thud on the axe and it doesn't have that bite, if it doesn't have that sharp edge, let them go and make themselves sharp by being in your presence, by uh, inviting wise counsel into their lives. And we thank you, Father God, for them walking continually. I see you walking continually with a very, very sharp edge. Praise you, O God. Thank you, Father. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. I see the file coming out, sharpening, sharpening, sharpening. Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, when that uh, professional knife person finished sharpening my knife, he took a piece of paper and went, whoosh, and just cut right through it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I see you so sharp. Hallelujah. Now, if you're watching today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, being spiritually sharp and alert all begins with the initial salvation experience, and you build from there. So if you would like to receive the eternal life and forgiveness of sins that Christ offers to you, pray right now. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, you died to save sinners, and I'm a sinner, but Jesus I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. Jesus, save me now. Wash all of my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, and help me to stay sharp all the days of my life as I walk with you. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Now, Let's take Holy Communion. Mm -mm. If you haven't taken communion in quite some time, you need to do that. If you're going six months or a year or, or, or months and months with no communion, uh, you'll lose an element of sharpness. So keep the whole blade sharp. Make sure that you take it often. Praise the Lord. Let's take it right now. Grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. And let's pray over it. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. And right now, we set it apart. We consecrate it as holy. We thank you that this is the body of Jesus, and this is the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father God. We give you praise. Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you that in many ways, our walk with you is like an axe. So, oh God, let us be sharp. Let us be sharp. Thank you. Let us not try to force things because we're dull. Let us be sharp so that we can go right through. Thank you, Father. We receive the body of Jesus in faith. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's receive together. Wisdom brings success. 
And I prophesy over you that this will be the most successful year you've ever had in your life. Why? Because you're walking in greater dimensions of wisdom than you've ever had before, and you are pouring the oil of the Spirit upon your walk with God through prayer. Therefore, I prophesy to you that this will be the most successful year you have ever had in your life, because you're sharper than ever before. Mm -mm. Now, for some of you, I sense a little bit of divine frustration because you feel like, Pastor Stephen, I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have another iron sharpened iron experience. The Lord will bring you that person. Hallelujah. Now, if you're married, it will not be somebody uh, of... of the different sex. In other words, if you're, if you're a woman and you're married to your husband, he's not going to bring you another man to start having these close talks. You understand that. But the Lord, ladies, the Lord can bring another lady into your life that loves the Lord also, that you can have that, that spiritual friendship with praise the Lord. And men, God will bring Christian fellowship into your life. For the deeper life, if you desire that, he will bring those in that can run with you. As you run, he'll bring those that are also running into your life. I sense some of you have, you, you, you haven't had that, but if you'll seek God for it, he will give you those valuable friendships. So you can know thousands of people, but the friendships, those that you can really open these things up and talk about and run, praise God, those are very, very valuable and you guard them, you guard them very carefully, praise the Lord. Now, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask that if we have committed any sins, that you would wash them all away. We thank you, Father, that our sins and our iniquities, you remember no more. You wash them all away. We thank you, Father God. We pray that you would deliver us from the evil one and keep us safe from him. And we thank you for your angels protecting us and shielding us. We thank you, O God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the illumination of wisdom. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for friends that walk in wisdom. He who walks with the wise will become wise. We thank you, Father God, for selective relationships. Father, we give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Let's receive. Praise God. Now, once your axe is all sharpened up and it's as, it's as sharp as it can be, then you're faced with the challenge of staying sharp, staying sharp. Woo, glory to God. And I see you committed to that walk. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> 